0: I'm excited to get back into our series, Encountering Jesus. We're going through several stories that John is introducing us to. And these are encounters that different people had with Jesus, the Messiah, and what they experienced. And he hopes, John, the writer, hopes that you experience Jesus through these accounts. Because he believes, as do I, that the more you experience Jesus the more you will come to see him for who he is. That Jesus really is, as he lays out in the first chapter, that he's the word of God become flesh. That he's the one responsible for creation and that he's bringing about new creation in the world. That Jesus is the son of God. He's the one the father has partnered with to shepherd his people that he is the son of man, he's the heavenly human being that will rule over all the nations of the world, that he is the house of God, the place where heaven and earth come together, that Jesus is all of these things. And and John believes that as you read these stories, that you understand these accounts, that you will encounter Jesus and that you'll come to that same conclusion and that you'll believe in him and that when you believe in him, you'll have life in His name, that's what I believe. That's what John believes, and that's why I'm excited to encounter Jesus with you. But the story we're going to talk about this morning is about somebody who encountered Jesus, but it's all about not seeing the things that are right in front of us. And to illustrate that, I heard a story this week. Uh, there's a city in Austria called Salzburg, and in Salzburg, oh, go back, just don't show that one yet. That's my punchline. So uh, we'll get to it in a second. <laughs> But in Salzburg, they they had a problem, and the problem was that pedestrians were getting in accidents all over the place. Uh, In fact, they had more accidents that involved pedestrians than people that were on mopeds or scooters or even cars. Pedestrians were in the most number of accidents, and 40% of the time, it was because they were doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they they were buried in their smartphone. 40% of the time, that was the problem. So they came up with a solution. And I kid you not, you've already seen the picture, but I kid you not, this is what they did. They put airbags on light posts, you know, that was, that was their solution, you know. But I thought, man, that, that perfectly illustrates the way we live our life sometimes, isn't it? We are so consumed and our mind is in one place, our heart is in one place, our vision is in one place, and we fail to see what's right in front of us. Are we failing to see what's right in front of us? Because of the condition of our heart, the condition of our mind, the condition of our eyes, are we failing to see what God is doing right in front of us? That's the question we want to wrestle with this morning. John chapter 3, we're introduced by John to a man named Nicodemus. He says in verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, which probably means he was part of the ruling council of the Jews, part of the Sanhedrin, which was a group of 70 men, which was kind of like their Supreme Court. So imagine the the sort of prestige that a person who is a Supreme Court justice would have in our culture, and understand that that would be true in their culture. Except in their culture, these were not only political rulers, so they had national and political clout, but also religious And spiritual clout. So here's a man who is of the upper echelon. He's very important. He's very smart. He's very religious. He's very pious. He knows the Bible. He knows God. He knows the the nation's past and their future. And and here he comes to talk to Jesus. But it says in verse 2, this man came to Jesus when? By night, right? This man came to Jesus by night. Now, I don't think that John is really just like, a clock in these types of accounts. He's not just telling us what time it was just to fill up the pages with something. You know, he's not doing it just to satisfy our curiosity. Every time he tells us, like in this story and the one we'll talk about next week in John chapter 4, and he tells us what time of day this happened, he's doing it to set the stage for a certain reason. And a lot of us have speculated, well, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? And we try to ask ourselves about what was Nicodemus's motivation? Maybe he wanted to sort of fly under the radar. He didn't want the other Pharisees or the other members of the Sanhedrin to know what he was doing. And that's probably true. That sounds reasonable. But I don't think that's why John tells us the time of day. I think it pertains more to the conversation that they're about to have. Because as the conversation progresses, you'll see that this is a conversation about being able to see and not see. That's what happens at night, right? Is you can't You can't see, right? And so this is a conversation about those who can see versus those who can't see. It's going to be a conversation about those who are in the light versus those who are in the darkness. Those who love the light versus those who love the darkness. And it's already a theme that John has introduced us to in chapter 1. And remember, when we read this account, we always look back and we say, how did John introduce us to this in the first chapter? That Jesus is the light who's coming into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. And this chapter has to do with that. It has to do with being able to see versus those who can't. And so John is sort of setting the stage for us, telling us that Nicodemus is the kind of guy that's in the dark, right? We would say the same kind of a thing. That that person's in the dark about some things, right? He doesn't see, he doesn't understand, he can't perceive. So this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, and it's funny how he begins this sentence, right? Rabbi, we no, right? We know. We, whoever we is, whoever he's speaking on behalf of, we know, we can see, we perceive, we know, we understand, right? Cuz that's what a teacher does. Somebody who's smart and religious and educated. I mean, they say, they think they can see. They think they understand. They think they've they've got a good grasp on what's true and what's not true. And so he begins it by tipping his hand that he perceives himself to be a man of sight, a man of vision, a man of understanding. And he says, "Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Come from God, right? We know you're from God. Because why? No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We, we see you. We see you're a teacher. We see you're a rabbi. We see that you come from God. We see and we understand that no one can do what you do unless they're from God. And that's going to be a key phrase on which Jesus is going to play the rest of the conversation on that phrase. So Nicodemus says, no one can do what you do unless they're from God. Now look at what Jesus says in reply. Verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly. And we got a kind of side note there because in Greek, when Jesus says truly, truly, it's literally, amen, amen. Now, they, in that time, would use amen the way we use amen, or at least the way I hope we, you know, I, I'll take one anytime you got one, you know. But, but the way we usually say amen, when somebody, a speaker says something or reads something, and you say, that's true, that's right, amen, right? You, you give it an amen, and you're, you're putting your vote along with it to say that should be true, or that is true, or that needs to come true, amen. But Jesus uses amen different. He not only says amen to himself, but he begins his statement with not one amen, but two. To say, amen, amen, truly, truly. What I'm about to say to you, you can take it to the bank, this is true. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus said, nobody can do what you do unless they're from God. And Jesus kind of turns that around and says, listen, I'll tell you what no one can do. You want to know what no one can do? No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. See, all throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus says the same types of things, right? The kingdom of God, it's here. God's rule and his reign is here. It's coming true in me. Look around. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming true. What God is doing in the world is showing up right now. And he says to Nicodemus, you say nobody can do what I do unless they're from God. But I say to you, you can't even see what God is doing unless you're what? Born again. Unless you experience a rebirth, unless there's a change in you, you can't even see what God is doing in the world. Nicodemus introduces himself, as would anybody in his sort of position, as somebody who knows, somebody who understands, somebody who can see. And Jesus says, listen, I know, I know you mean well, but listen, you can't. And neither can anyone else. No one can see what God is up to in the world unless they experience a rebirth being born again. Now, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? So if you're confused by what Jesus says, you're in good company. Nicodemus is confused as well. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, he's just totally confused. What does that even mean? Verse 5. Jesus answered, again with the amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, the first phrase he said, Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And here he says you can't enter the kingdom of God because you can't enter what you can't see. And you can't see it unless you're born again. You can't see what God is doing in the world, much less enter into it and partner with it and become a part of what God is doing in the world unless you experience this new birth, rebirth, new creation, born again. Unless you experience this new birth, you can't see, much less become a part of and enter into what God is doing in the world. And what kind of a rebirth is this? What kind of being born again? Born again by the water and the Spirit. Now when we hear that, we probably think all sorts of different things, but but John, who's writing this, was saturated in the scriptures, right? And Jesus was saturated in the scriptures. And Nicodemus, as a teacher and a ruler, he was saturated in the scriptures. And John assumes that his readers are saturated in the scriptures. So we should probably go back into their scriptures and say, what sort of promise is Jesus claiming to fulfill here? Are there any scriptures that talk about this sort of being born again? Are there any scriptures that tie together the water and the spirit? And I think if we do, we'll, we'll end up back in passages like Ezekiel chapter 36. And Ezekiel 36, God is saying to his people, listen, my name is profaned among the nations because of you. Because you don't do what I tell you to do when you're disobedient and rebellious. Then people all over the world talk bad about me because of you, but all of that's going to change when I do this, verse 24, when I take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, I will sprinkle clean, here's the water part, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove this heart of stone from you, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm going to fundamentally change you. Now, it doesn't say born again, but do you see that idea there? That what, what the problem is, the reason you're so disobedient is your heart needs to be changed. You need, you need a heart transplant. You need your heart of stone taken out and put in a soft heart of flesh. You need a new spirit within you, and I'm going to do that for my people. I'm going to fundamentally change you. I'm going to cause you to be reborn, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of life, a change of way you're living your life so that with this new spirit, my spirit, who lives within you, then you'll be an obedient people, right? And that's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? He's saying, listen, Nicodemus, I know, I know you think yourself a ruler and a teacher and somebody who's wise and smart and understanding, and you think you see, but I'm telling you, you can't even see what's going on right under your nose. You can't see what's being fulfilled right around you. People's sins are being washed away. And people are about to receive the spirit of God and be fundamentally changed and reborn. Were there baptisms going on right then? Yes, in fact, in chapter 3, that water and that cleansing, it's happening all around, isn't it? John, the baptizer. And then, again, just keep reading in chapter 3, and John and his disciples are baptizing people, and then Jesus and his disciples start baptizing people. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here, listen, this, Ezekiel 36, it's coming true right in front of you, but you can't see what God is doing, much less enter into it and become a part of it unless you experience... New birth, a fundamental change. You need a new heart and a new mind and new eyes. And when you experience that, then you'll be able to see and enter into, be a part of what God is doing in the world. Verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you hear key phrase, you do not know where it comes from, or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In, in Greek, wind and Spirit are the exact same word. And there's a similarity there, isn't there, between the way the wind works and the way the Spirit works. The wind and the Spirit do their work invisibly, right? Invisibly. You, don't, you can't see it working, but it's, it's working. You can't see the Spirit working, but he's working. And Jesus is saying, listen, that's the way it is with all of these people that are being and will be born of the Spirit. It's happening right under your nose. But you're not going to be able to see it, not going to be able to understand it, not going to be able to know it, not going to be able to perceive it unless you're born again. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, 'How, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not, key word again, you do not understand. See, Nicodemus has a hard time with this. A much harder time than the woman we'll meet next week in chapter 4. And part of the reason is because Nicodemus is so smart and he's so well-read and studied and educated and religious. And there's no one harder to convince that they're wrong than someone who truly believes that they're right. There's no one that's harder to convince that they don't know something important than the person who already believes that they do understand it. The person who says, listen, I'm ignorant. I don't know. Teach me. I want whatever it is that you're offering. I want it. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. That person is moldable. But those of us who proudly think we know, proudly think we understand, proudly think we can see what we need to see and perceive what we need to perceive and understand what we need to understand, sometimes it's hardest for us to be convinced now listen, what you need is a fundamental change. You need to be born again. You need a new heart and a new mind and new eyes. So then you will understand. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, again, amen, amen. I say to you, we speak, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. You see the the repeating phrase? You do not know, verse uh, verse 8. You do not understand, verse 10. You do not receive, verse 11. But we know, and we see, and we receive, verse 12. If I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? This is why you don't see. This is why you don't understand. This is why you can't get what's going on all around you. All these people are going out to be baptized by John. All these people are coming to me to be taught. And I'm doing what I'm doing in the world. And you you still don't get it. And you don't because you need to be born again. See, no one understands heavenly things, he says. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And we'll explore that phrase later because that's so important. Nobody understands heavenly things except really the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You remember that story in Numbers where all the people have been bitten by snakes and they're all dying and God gives them a way to be saved. All you got to do is open your eyes and look. There's a serpent on a staff right there, a bronze serpent lifted up. All you got to do to be saved is look to that serpent and you'll live and Jesus says, and I'm that son of man who's going to be lifted up. And all you have to do is open your eyes and see and look, but you're not going to be able to see and you're not going to be able to understand and you're not going to be able to perceive unless you experience this rebirth that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And as you keep reading, you know, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And as that conversation progresses, You see that it all comes down to that one question. Do you see Jesus? That's what it all comes down to. Those that are in the dark and love the darkness versus those that are in the light and love the light. Those that can see versus those that can't. It comes down to this question. Do you believe in Jesus? He's the one that's lifted up and to have life eternal life, life for the age to come, life everlasting. All you have to do is see him and believe in him, but you're not going to unless you first surrender and say, I don't see what I need to see. I don't understand what I need to understand. I need to be born again. The water being cleansed of my past and a new spirit, a new heart, a change of mind, a change of everything. I need to be fundamentally and totally transformed. So, somebody like Nicodemus, who's religious, knowledgeable, and educated, could still be in the dark about things. The Son of God was right there in front of him, but he didn't see what he needed to see, at least not at that moment. His eyes of flesh perceived certain things, right? He said, I know you're a rabbi, I I, I know that God's with you, but there was so much that he didn't see. He had a, a moment of truth. He was standing there right in front of Jesus. And over the next few months and years, he would, he would have to decide, can I see what God is doing right in front of me? And, that, and that's the moment of truth we all have, isn't it? Can I see what God is doing right in front of me? The eyes of the flesh see certain things, don't they? I mean, our eyes, they see bills and they see deadlines and they see calendars The eyes of the flesh see what's on the news, and we see every news broadcast, and we see all of that stuff. We see people. We see people all around us. But sometimes we see people as annoyances people that are in our way, people that have what we want, or people that are keeping us from having what we want. We're going through life with our eyes just buried in this world, in the flesh. And Jesus offers us an opportunity to be born again by the water and the Spirit so that we gain new eyes, new sight, new vision, and we can see everything differently now. And we can perceive the world in a totally different way. We see people and we see opportunities to love them and bless them. We see what God is doing in the world. Not just see what God is doing in the world, but we see our opportunity to be a part of it, to enter into it, to partner together with God, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our enemies, to bless the people that are around us, to bless our spouse and our children and our coworkers and our classmates. Not to see them as people that are in our way or people that are keeping us from having what we want, but to partner together with God in the world, to be truly a part of God's kingdom. In order to see it and enter into it, we've got to experience a new birth. And that happens initially at baptism, doesn't it? I mean, that's what the whole context is about. But just because it begins there doesn't mean that you can't go back to seeing things the way you've always seen them. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? Go back to looking at the world through the eyes of the flesh. Go back to all we can see is our bills and our deadlines and our calendars and our annoyances and our frustrations and our worries. All we can see is these things, the flesh. We need to be praying and intentional about allowing Jesus to continually cause us to be born again by the water and his spirit so that we can see what God is doing in the world and not just see it, but enter into it and be a part of it. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you haven't yet been born again by the water and the Spirit. Had your sins washed away, taken taken that heart of stone out of your flesh and have a new heart put in you. And you're ready. You're ready to make that decision so that you can see what Jesus wants you to see and be a part of what Jesus wants you to be a part of. Or maybe you have made that decision, but our hearts grow cold and our eyes grow dim. And we need to constantly be looking for and intentional about rebirth. Lord, please make me new again. Make me new again so that I can see what you're doing in the world and I can enter into it and be a part of it that you may be glorified in what we say and what we do. And if we can help you with that, if we can partner together with you, if you're ready to make a decision or you just need prayers or encouragement, we're in this together. We want you to bless us and we want to bless you. So, if there's any way we can help you this morning, come forward as we stand and sing the song.